This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Have you ever sent out a company tweet with a controversial hashtag? That's not smart, but you know what is smart? Hiring with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actually invites them to apply, so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States based on Trustpilot's rating of hiring sites with over 1,000 reviews. Now, VergeCast listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. Hello, and welcome to the VergeCast, the flagship podcast of The Verge. I feel like I didn't go big that time, but it's a big show this week. Very big show. I'm your friend, Eli. Paul is here. Hi, Paul. Hello. Dieter is at... Dieter, are you in Seattle right now? Where are you? No, I, I, I made it home. It's 7.30 in the morning in Oakland, and uh, I am, uh, I'm your compatriot today. Ooh, a compatriot. Ooh. No, it's just a huge week. There's, I was just going to tell you straight out, there's no grab bag this week. There's no nonsense. It's iPhone review, Apple Watch review, and Amazon's 50,000 products that they announced yesterday. Dieter, you were at that event. I was, and let me tell you, it was hard. It was just just nonstop. They were they were announcing products at a cadence of about one every minute and a half for an hour. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, we'll get to that later. Let's start with the phone. I have guys. I have the phone, as you may have deduced mm. by the fact that I wrote three thousand <laughs> words and published a video about it. No, it's it's iPhone review week. Can I just say something first before we begin? Uh, yes, I've been thinking about please, this like all week. Do. It is the Verge Mafia is like wild. I'm so proud of it. Like Joanna, Lauren, Dave, like the Verge alumni out in the world who are now the top reviewers. It just makes me so happy. So that was like the <laughs> first thing. It's like I've just been thinking about it all week. It's incredible because, you know, it didn't used to exist. Now it exists and now it has like an alumni class that's amazing. So that's cool. That made me happy. And then the phone, uh, I would say the phone made me happy with some medium, medium feelings on the side. Is that a phrase? Yeah. The phone is like one of those things where it's like, it's like the restaurant that you know is capable of blowing your mind with the best steak ever. But like the, that chef had the night off. And so it's a very, it's an incredibly good steak. It's, it's the, it's (laughs) one of the top five steaks you've ever had, but you just, Mm. you just in your heart, you kind of know, like, oh, man, I should have come on Thursday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that. Or, like, it's the second time you've had it. Do you know? Oh, like yes. The fir- there you, you go. You know, like, the, you, like, had this transcendent experience. And then you, like, you go back and you're, like, telling your friends, like, this was incredible. I've never had anything. And then you're, like, yep, it's a steak, actually. Hmm. <laughs> so, so I have both phones. I have the, the 10s and the 10s Max. I'll be straight out. I barely use the 10s because... It's the same phone as the Max, and obviously the Max is the more interesting phone because it has the bigger screen and it has, you know, the bigger battery. So I really wanted to test the bigger battery. I, the battery is incredible. I've been really? running twelve to fourteen hours with this battery, uh, with like wow. eight hours of screen time. Yeah. The people that don't get to hang out with Neli, and I, I suspect that that's probably most of you, uh, hanging out with Neli is infuriating because we'll be sitting there. At the office Thanks, buddy. or no, 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 no finish. <laughs> at the office or at uh, his apartment or wherever. And he'll just be banging away on his phone nonstop, just draining the battery for like three hours straight. And I'll be sitting there watching it. And there will be a power cable literally half a foot from his phone <laughs> the entire time. 
and he won't touch it. He won't just plug the damn thing in. It's like if I'm within 50 feet of a power cable, I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to plug it in over there. I carry spare batteries with me everywhere. I have I have a complex about being max charge all the time. If my phone is below 65%, I start to get really shaky and nervous. And Neil, I yeah. just does not care. He's like, eh, hey. I'm just going to use it. It's fine. Conversely, hanging out with Dieter is great because he's always got extra batteries and cables. <laughs> Wait, Neil, what's your thought process in this? Do you like to live on the edge? Is it the ergonomics of using a phone while it's plugged in? What's, what's going through your mind? I'm an optimist. <laughs> and I just assume that like if the battery di- like every it'll just be fine. Like I'll either find a place mm. to plug it in or right. I'll just I'll just go home or you know it's like probably time to stop using Twitter anyway. I will say that the screen time limits on uh iOS 12 are remarkably ineffective with me. I don't know if they're effective for other people. I hope they are. But I Did you set any? Yeah, I set a two and a half hour limit for Twitter, Instagram. And I told it to turn virtually everything off at 10 p.m. And I am begging my phone for an extra 15 minutes, like 10,000 times a day. (laughs) I basically have like a snooze button for everything. And I now live in a constant state of snoozing, which actually makes sense. Uh, But I I like it because it makes me at least it makes me at least think that I shouldn't. But then I do. I feel like it's more revealing about my personality than I want it to be. Yeah. So the battery life is great and it's perfect for you because you never plug in. So that's cool. Yeah. So the, the, the Max is great. Uh, I was talking to Joanna, actually, who was testing the, the 10S, and she was really impressed with the, the little battery life, which is only quoted at half an hour more than the 10. And it actually uh-huh. has a smaller battery. It was like revealed that the, the 10S has a smaller battery than the 10, but it's getting a better battery life. I think that's down basically to a combination of iOS 12 and the seven nanometer A12 chip, which is more efficient. Um, so that, I think just on the first cut, right, is the battery life better. It's the thing everybody cares about. These phones are really impressive. Then the Max, because of the the sort of full body screen, I've just started becoming accustomed to it. I, at first, I thought it was too big because I've been using a 10 for a while and I thought it was a little silly. And I really do wish Apple would make more use of that screen. Like, I really wish I could watch picture-in-picture video while doing something else on it because it's big enough to support it. But now I'm like, oh, this is my computer. And I I remember thinking that when I had a plus for years, like this is basically my computer all day. Like I'm in meetings, I'm running around, I'm draining that battery. Uh, My computer might as well have a big screen so I can do all the stuff I want to do on it. It is not quite at the note level where the thing actually is a computer and you can just make it a computer if you want. Right. But as, you know, somebody who like, spends their day going from conference room to conference room. I don't carry my laptop because I want to pay attention. Um, so having a phone that I'm like, okay, I can, I can review a video and feel confident that I actually saw the thing. The max is great. So I think I'm a max person. I think I'm going to end up, you know, I'm trapped on AT&T edge forever for life. <laughs> uh, and so I'm going to end up upgrading and I, I think I'm going with the max. I didn't think so at first, but I think that's where I'm landing. Wow. Can you talk a little bit more about like, because I know it's been a year really since you've used a plus, but like, does it basically just feel like a really nice plus that doesn't have big dopey bezels? Or is there some like feeling to it that's different from the plus that you like or that you don't like? I know that like you have to reach further up to the screen. You have to use two hands to to hit the notification tray. Is there anything else like compared to the plus that feels different? 
Yeah, the Plus, I, I've never liked the design of sort of the iPhone 6 class of phones. I always thought they were yeah. kind of ugly. With the iPhone 8, you know, they added the glass back. It, it kind of refined that design a little bit. It still felt kind of surfboardy to me. I think, honestly, the combination of the rounded edges on the screen and the glass back kind of makes this design way better. It is still pretty yeah. surfboardy, and I keep it in a case. But I had it out of the case all the yesterday because they were taking photos of it. And just carrying it around without a case, I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, I actually kind of like holding this thing. The one thing I huh. do not like about it at all is they went to a new antenna configuration to support gigabit LTE. And that means they're on the bottom of the phone where the lightning connector is, the holes are asymmetrical. There's like six on one side and four on the other in an antenna line. And it, yeah, it's. It's the least Johnny Ive thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Here's the thing. Like, every time Samsung put out a phone for years, there would be just a million blog posts and tweets of, like, look at how, uh, like, the plug and the hole and these speakers are not all on the same line. Look how asymmetrical this is. Ha, 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 Samsung. Ha, ha, ha. And I always was like, yeah, I mean, sure. But also, who, 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 who cares? Does, like, genuinely, who cares? And I feel the same way about the 10. Yeah, but Samsung stuff was like nothing was aligned like vertically. Like the headphone yeah. jack would be up here and the USB-C jack would be down here. And then like the speaker holes would be somewhere in the middle. Like that was that's crazy. <laughs> like, I get it. This is like <laughs> okay. they made a concession to their antenna and it looks it just looks weird. And I can't imagine they're happy about it, but it's fine. That's like the only true like visual problem with the phone. If even right. if, if you could even call it a problem, there's some like discussion over whether the camera bump is a different size than previously. Uh, and we should get into the camera. The camera sensor is like 32% bigger than before. Uh, and there's a lot of just sort of if you put an iPhone 10s in a 10 case, like the case fits a little differently. But I haven't actually had that experience. My cases fit fine. Marquez Brownlee made a video and he was like, this case fits differently. So like. John Gruber is like, I measured it with precision calipers and it's the yeah. same size. Uh, so it's a little unclear to me what is actually happening there. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it's the same phone, right? And your cases yeah. should fit fine. And Apple says they should fit fine. So speaking of the camera, that's like where we spent all of our time and energy outside of, you know, measuring battery life. Like the screen is the same screen. Hardware wise, I think they're doing some stuff in software to get more out of it, but it's the same sort of beautiful OLED screen. It's the same 458 pixels per inch on both devices. There's really nothing apart from the processor and the camera that's different on these devices than last year. Right. So we spent all of our time with the camera because I think I've been saying this on the Vergecast for months now, I think, which is as soon as we had a baby, I became immediately unimpressed with the iPhone 10 camera. The second you're like, I want these photos to last forever, that camera does not hold up, it, at least yep. to me, um, because it mm. it the loss of resolution is really obvious to me when you zoom in. The noise reduction and smoothing is really, really obvious. Portrait mode gets really blocky and low light real fast. So the 10 has a great camera, like a good camera. Not great, but I just don't think it, it holds up compared to the Pixel and compared to my real cameras. So I was really interested in the 10s. The 10s has a much better camera. I think Vlad wrote a piece. There is some, because of that larger sensor in the specs, there's been some triangulating of 
what sensor they're using now. And it appears they've gone from a Sony sensor to a Samsung sensor, which explains one big thing, which is it looks way more like Samsung's cameras now. Like color temperature wise. You think that comes out of the sensor? It's like hard to say, but like yeah. if you just look, you know, there's going to be an iFixit teardown, you know, the second these things come out in the world. Actually, it ha- it hit this morning as we're recording. I'm going to I'm going to go oh, wait, read the internet while you continue to talk. All right. So, Dieter will confirm for us what sensor it is. I didn't realize <laughs> it hit this morning. But yeah, so there's there, there's like some triangulation of what sensor it is. Regardless, if you just look at the photos, uh, and we spent I don't think people know this. Like uh, we, we have a huge team of people that makes the iPhone review with me every year. It's, it's, it's like a weird tradition. We all end up staying up until three in the morning. We all end up working on the weekend. So there's like, you know, eight of us floating in and out of the the review process. And our creative director, James has a big calibrated professional monitor with a hood. Um, He retouches all of our photos with it. We spent hours arguing about these photos under that hood and people were walking by and yelling. It's like, it is the most fun, right? Like if you, that's the sort of thing you enjoy, it's the most fun. So my impression in the review is not just me. It's like a lot of people have given me a lot of thoughts and opinions about what these photos look like as we're making the review. James and I spent a lot of time taking photos and arguing about photos. And so the conclusions we arrived at during the review, you can see them. One, it's, it's a really good camera. I think like most people, especially if you have an iPhone, it's the best iPhone camera ever made by far, which is obvious. It is a substantial upgrade over the 10. The I think the 10s camera makes the 10 look worse, like way worse than any step function iPhone camera upgrade than before. I think that's that's to me particularly interesting. But it looks way more like Samsung photos than before in terms of sort of color, temperature, and like processing quality, and it does a lot of yeah. smoothing. And that smoothing mm. and noise reduction, you can argue what they're doing. You know, I asked Apple very directly, like, are you attempting to go for this look? They said no, very clearly. Like, we're trying to do the best camera we can. We pride ourselves on accuracy. So they, they said no. But then you look at the photos and you're like, what is this closest to? And the answer is Samsung. Samsung is still way aggressive. Like, you look at an S9 photo up close and it... It is smooth to all hell. Like they detect faces and they're like, you will now have the best complexion you've ever had. Right. Yeah. Like they're doing stuff that Apple won't do. But you look next to a pixel and the pixel just has more detail in the image. And that to me is like, I'd rather have that and edit that photo to make it look more like an iPhone photo than not have the detail to begin with. Dieter, what have you discovered? Oh, but I fixed it. Oh, they did not say. I can see I'm looking okay. at a picture of the sensor, but there's no branding on it. So I apologize. Uh, I see. So the conspiracy theory continues. Yes, hmm. uh, and, and let, let us let us add our part to it. So the question is, does it, do they just need another mode? Should they just like be straight up and say like the default mode is beauty, and they should add like a manual mode to the main camera? Well, you can shoot it in RAW. Uh, you can also turn. Yeah. We didn't. I didn't talk about how the camera works. So there's a whole new image processing chain that's happening on the on the 10s and soon the 10r, which is uh-huh. called Smart HDR. It's Apple's riff on what Google is doing with the Pixel, basically. It takes four photos in a buffer the second you open the camera app. But it's also, unlike Google, which Google combines underexposed frames, Apple is taking matched pairs. One is like the regular exposure, and one is a long exposure, which is overexposed to pick up details in the shadows, right? So they have this like, they basically have eight frames. It's four matched pairs. One is exposed correctly, and one is overexposed. So then they 
They like do a bunch of processing, they combine whatever, they get the detail out. That smart HDR is like the big new thing with the camera combined with the new sensor. So you can turn it off, which is right. Like you can just turn it off in the settings. It's totally normal. I think yeah, those yeah, photos yeah. look way worse, just way worse. You can also uh, keep it on and tell it to keep the normal frame. And the comparison between the two, the smart HDR to me makes a much better photo. Okay. So the smart HDR is better. Okay. Yeah. And you can open like Halide, which is the pro app I use and shoot in raw if you feel like it. And then you have a raw image and then you can like do whatever you want with it. So right. you have options, right? Oh, that's great. Do I think that there should be a button that's like more pleasing photo, more accurate photo with smart HDR? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that, it, that's like the oldest debate in the book. Like in, in everything, like you go into Best Buy and the TVs look insane because people buy the brightest TV, whether or not it's accurate. And you bring it home and you set it to like be accurate. And you're like, this TV looks really muted and bad. And then your dad shows up and turns on motion smoothing and turns up all the brightness. Hmm. And that's just life. So like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what the right answer is because it's entirely subjective, which is the thing I said in the review. I, I cannot yeah. tell you what photos to prefer. Like, absolutely can't. James and I have a strong preference for the pixel photos for different reasons. Actually, James is like, these photos look more like what I would want to make. So they, they're closer to where I would want to be already as a photographer. And he's a professional photographer for 35 years who's like operated at the highest levels. So like, that's his preference. Like, this is closer to where I want to be. I can get this photo and get it to exactly where I want to be very quickly. My read is actually very different than his, which is the colors are flatter and more accurate on the pixel, the, and there's more detail, right? So as a, as a starting edit place, it's not necessarily, is this closer to where I want it to be? It, it's more, is this more accurate, right? Can right. I push this in a wild direction, but am I starting from a place of accuracy? And I think the iPhone photos, a lot of people have been tweeting at us this week, the iPhone photos are really, they, they just lack contrast because smart HDR, because of that overexposure, brings up the shadows to be really flat. So iPhone photos are noticeably less contrasty. Now, can you start there and end up at a pixel photo? Yes. How do I know this? Because people keep taking our photos, editing them and sending them back to us and saying, look, it's just as good as the <laughs> pixel photo. Um, but what they don't have is detail. Right. And to me, like, particularly like I'm saying, like we had the kid and do I want to look at a photo of Max five years from now and be my child is named Max, by the way. I'm never going to forgive Apple for this. Do I want to like look at a photo of the baby five years from now and be like, man, I wish there was more detail in her face. Right. And I, the answer for me is that trade off feels really hard for a picture that might be like brighter or more contrast or less contrasty. So that's right. I, look, uh, I watched Marquez's video. It's good. Um, he landed basically the same place as me, which is it's firmly the number two camera behind the pixel. And then he said a thing in his video that I actually cut from our review, which is if you have an iPhone 10 and you are the sort of person who just like wants to spend a thousand dollars, you should just go buy a camera, right? Like yeah. you should keep your iPhone 10 and you should buy a Sony RX 100 or the new Fujifilm uh, X-T2 or X-T3. Like, just go do that, and you'll have a real camera that will take far better photos than any of these smartphones. You'll, like, have the best of both worlds. But the the sort of 10s versus $10,000 spend just for the camera doesn't seem worth it until, I think, another round of smart HDR optimization. Yeah, I got to say, unless you really want the Max, the, the camera improvements are, are good from the 10 to the 10s from what I've seen. Like, actually, very, very good. But the idea that you would justify an upgrade based solely on that seems just bonkers to me. 
but there were there there have been many iPhone years where that was I think the right move, right? The the jump from the five to the six camera was incredible, right? It was just right. like a really it was a really big jump in quality. That's when they started doing the billboard campaign, shot an iPhone. So there there have been times in the past where you do that. And I think Apple tried to sell it like it's a much bigger sensor, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah, I think Apple wants this to be that kind of jump. And if you just look at it in a vacuum versus the 10, it is. But if you look at it across the industry, it's incredible that Google's year old camera is doing a slightly better job than the 10s still. And the Pixel 3, yeah. you know, looks like it's coming out in a matter of weeks. But other than that, like, there, I, I don't think there's much more to review with the phone. I mean, we've been talking about it for a half an hour, but you understand. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stop looking at these sample photos and not being able to decide which is better. I really just have, I really can't make a call. Like they're obviously different. You know, we have like the calls. We talk to Apple as we like go through review and I have questions. And so one of my questions was, you know, that no one is doing this, right? Like no one is under a hood looking at 150% crop of these photos and being like, that one has more detail in this, like, tiny, and they're like, no, we do that, right? Of yeah. course, Apple does it because they want to win. But then they were like, yeah, but we also know that most people look at these on smartphone screens. And I, I think mm -hmm. one of the things that's happening with smartphone cameras, James actually wrote a piece about this for us like five years ago, and I can dig it up and we can put it in the show notes or something. But the revolution with smartphone cameras was that your capture device and your display device are the same device, Right. And that means you're going to take a photo, you're going to share it, and then like you have a huge audience of people who are going to look at it on their cameras, basically, right? Their their phones. Right. And so if your target is basically like Instagram, which already compresses the shit out of your photos, or your target is Twitter, which compresses the shit out of your photos, or whatever, um, Google Photos or iCloud sharing, and you know, and you're Apple, and you're like, what kind of photo should we make with this camera? And you know it's only ever going to be this big, and no one's ever really blown up. And even when you pinch to zoom, there's like a max pinch to zoom. Well, then of course you're going to optimize it for that size. And I don't know. I think Apple is an honest broker. Like I don't want to suggest that they're they're cheating, but I think they know deep in their hearts that they need to make a photo that looks really good for the iPhone screen. To to that point, they were saying you get like the the this phone, the 10s is supposed to have 60% more dynamic range when it's displaying the photos that you take. Did you notice anything like that? It's so hard to tell. Yeah. You know? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> First of all, well, like... I don't know. Sometimes when you watch HDR things, it's like, well, oh, that's pretty HDR. Like uh, watch an HDR movie on a good HDR set. Sometimes it's like, hmm, very HDR. Yeah. Yeah. You I will that say vibe. that the, the, the sample photos I've seen of like full-on HDR backlit with the sun in the background from the 10 to the 10s that improvement has been massive like, like oh yeah there's stuff that had like a 10 would definitely blow out or definitely screw up that the 10s can capture just full stop now hmm. yeah F -stop look now. I, I, I keep saying this like the the 10s is a huge step over the 10 like don't get yeah. me wrong like they, they don't even sell the 10 anymore so whatever but the 10s and presumably the 10r are easily the best iPhone cameras ever made. They're better than yep. most Android phones. I think they're far better than the the, Gal the Galaxy cameras. But are they as good as the Pixel? And like one thing to note is that no one else in the world has a Pixel. <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's me trying to buy one on this show uh, and failing because the eight other nerds have already like bought the whole stock out. Right? Like yeah. they don't sell very many of those. So is is yeah. that a fair comparison? compared to what most people would buy. Like, I think if 
you are writing for a much more mainstream audience, you should only compare it to the the Samsung phones because that's what that audience is going to buy. And it's better than those. So it's the best camera for the verge audience for the verge cast listener. Presumably, you know that the pixel exists. Presumably, you know that we've been saying for a year, this is the best camera on a phone. So I think it's only fair that we compare it to that. Right. Um, (laughs) And I think there Google just has a, has an edge. So, uh, I want to go back to this. Most people look at the their photos on the, the phone that they took them with thing and then the Instagram thing. I have a solution to this problem and you're going to hate it. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes. CSS for photos. The revolution <laughs> in web technology was separating out. The whole point of HTML was you separate out the layout from the content. And cascading uh-huh. style sheets were the best because they'd be like, here's the, here's the raw data. Here's the content. But and then the CSS was separate and it said, make it look like this on this type of screen. And so what we need is we need a new standard, a new web standard that everybody can agree to a new photo standard. We'll have to form a, bo- a committee. We'll form a committee and we need a committee. they will agree on a, a format that is everyone just shares raw photos from now on. And then mm. along with it is another file that says this is what it should look like on these different screens. Think about it. Do you, okay. Okay. Do you guys re- remember like early days web design where you'd make a JPEG and like it had a white background and then you'd try to put it on a white HTML page, but then they'd be different whites. Yes. yes. We've come a long way <laughs> is what I'm saying. Also, there is some sort of color. There's a new color standard that's being either proposed or is pretty far along in standardization. It's like a new color space for the web. That's about, it's like designer's eyes to designer's monitor to your monitor and whatever your monitor color profile so that you as the consumer end up seeing similar color to what the designer put in. But it's kind of different than what you're saying, Dieter. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I think Apple's displays are the most accurate smartphone displays. I think Apple, very, they're very proud of how accurate their displays are. And I yeah. think for good reason compared to, so like one thing you cannot do you cannot take a bunch of phones, take pictures with them, and then like compare the pictures on five different screens, right? right? Like the Pixel screen makes Pixel photos look really good. The iPhone screen makes iPhone photos look really good. Samsung screens look like neon took drugs, right? Like there's no, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you, you can't do that. You have to pull them back to at least one screen. So we sent them all to an iPhone screen and we looked at them there. We sent them all to a pixel screen and we looked at them there. Then we used James's monitor. I think there is, I would love the entire industry to say like, put our screens in reference mode where they're all dead accurate, but like, yeah. who, no, but you know what that would look like? It would look desaturated. It would look flat. Um, it wouldn't yep. be as bright and people just don't want that. And I, that's like the reality. Like people just don't want to look at accurate displays. They want to look at bright, vibrant, crazy displays. And so again, I, you know, I think that's a push and pull for all these companies. And, you know, I asked Apple and they said, no, we're trying to make an accurate camera, but I think you can just see it Their Their photos look a little bit more like Samsung's photos this year. Um, yeah. you know, and you can get conspiratorial about that. Like people might prefer Samsung's photos. Joanna's review. She said in some shots, I preferred the S nine's photos. I think it's because on a small screen, all of that smoothing and beautifying, doesn't really matter, right? It, especially in other markets around the world where these phones are people's primary computers, primary connected device. 
and they don't have a laptop or whatever else, of course they don't care about something. They can't, they, there's no way you can see it. So I think right. there's a little bit of competitive push and pull there, but can I prove out that, you know, some Apple camera engineer was like looking at a matrix of consumer preferences and was like, guys, we got to, of course I can't do that. I can just look at the photos and tell you what I see. Okay. Is it time to read an ad and move on to the watch? It is. I mean, we could talk about the processor. Here's what I'll say about the processor. It's the only other thing. The neural engine is cool. I think every year Apple gives itself more headroom, right? They have such a massive advantage in smartphone processors that they're just giving themselves headroom. So the 10 doesn't feel slow a year later. Last year, the A11 in the, in the 10 had a 30% faster GPU than the A10, right? Have we maxed right. out the processor in the iPhone 10? We absolutely have not maxed out that processor. Yeah. So they've got even more headroom this year. They're you know, another 50% faster than that GPU. But the real thing is the neural engine. And I think that that's a bet that Apple's AR stuff, that their core ML stuff will pay off. But in data use, when you're like using Slack and Twitter, does the neural engine kick in? It does not. So yeah. I think there's like, it's there for the next generation of things. And Apple on stage at their keynote, they're like, we make these products to last a long time. And I think all of that processing headroom they have is part of that strategy. I think that's, that's awesome, right? That they... They have way more headroom than they need, so these phones are going to last four, five, six years. Yeah, we should give Apple a little bit of credit, uh, actually a lot of credit, for the iPhone 10. It is a way better phone than I think we realized when it first came out. There have been a lot of iPhone generations that a year in were like, oh, well, this is slow. Well, this 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 didn't hold up as well as I hoped. But the combination of the bug fixes in iOS 12 and the speed ups in iOS 12 rel- relative to iOS 11 and the iPhone 10 having just a better, faster processor and more longevity than like other iPhones is one of the reasons I think that upgrading to the 10s if you have a 10 seems a little weird. Like because the the 10 was so good and continues to be good and like continues to not feel slow relative to the 10s. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the 10 is going to last. People are going to have, we're going to see iPhone 10s for five years, right? The same way that you yeah. still see iPhone 6s floating around. Yeah. We didn't talk about iOS 12 a lot, but we've talked about it a lot already on this show. So go back into the archives. <laughs> <laughs> That's so rude. Okay. I'm going to read an ad and then Adidas going to take over. We're going to talk about the watch. This episode of the Virtuast is brought to you by Betterment. We're about to hear an advertiser segment brought to you by Betterment, an online investing tool for people who refuse to settle for average. Ten years ago, the Great Recession sent shockwaves through the global economy. And in that uncertain economic environment, consumers were gripped with fear and doubt. 2008, it was, you know, the Great Recession. People in general had lost trust in the incumbents. And I thought there really ought to be an obvious best answer to the question, what should I do with my money? But there wasn't. That's John Stein, CEO of the financial services company Betterment, which he founded because he felt the economic industry was failing the average investor. Imagine a healthcare system designed with just a shelf of medicine, and you can go and you can take whatever you want, however much you want, but there's no doctors. Just just figure it out. And I think that's a crazy way to design a system that everyone has to use. I thought, how do we help people make great decisions, put the right kind of information in their hands to help them do better? So along with a team of experts, John developed an online financial advisor that could work for anyone. 
Maybe you're retiring, or maybe you're thinking about buying a home or having a child in the future. We learn about those things and create goals for you and a financial plan. It's all the things that a great traditional financial advisor might do for you. But financial advisors charge, you know, maybe four times what, what Betterment charges. Betterment, outsmart average. Please remember, investing involves risk. This has been advertiser content from Betterment. Thank you for that note from Betterment. To learn more about their tools, visit betterment.com slash interesting. That's quite a URL. That's betterment.com slash interesting. All right, Dieter. Yeah. You had the watch. The watch is fundamentally more interesting. And I don't know why we spent all that time on the phone. It is wildly interesting. Uh, I, uh, I deeply love it. And I do. We should probably point out that like the valence, the like emotional tenor of our phone conversation was like, one way and it got an 8.5 and then the emotional tenor of our watch conversation is about to be a very different way and it also got an 8.5 but to be very clear like these are both very very good products and um i don't know like an 8.5 in the smartwatch world means something very very different because the competition is like a six right now right it's like a five and so an 8.5 smartwatch is like oh my god you did it. Holy crap. Yes. Nobody else has figured this out. And 8.5 in the, in the phone world is like, yeah, no, it's really, really good. Everybody who buys this will be very, very happy with it. There just happen to be other 8.5 phones. Yeah. To be clear, we've given virtually every flagship phone for the past year in 8.5. Um, the Note, the S9, the Pixel 2, all of them got 8.5s. I have routinely given iPhones 9 the 0.5 deduction was you had a year to beat the Pixel 2 and you didn't in the in a camera yeah. department. That's it. Yeah. But, uh, like it is on par. It's the same school. Literally every other phone has gotten 8.5. So I felt confident about that. But it is that like 0.5 ding. And you're saying, I think I gave the first Apple Watch a seven, right? Like yeah. I was like, this is an unfocused mess. This thing needs a purpose. And now you're saying, oh, it has it has purpose now. It has purpose. And like that purpose question, I actually struggled a lot with that. So just real quick, like the, the basics of the watch are it has a bigger screen, which is beautiful, and it's got curved corners, and, you know, faster processor, blah, blah, blah. And then a bunch of health stuff that is supposed to protect your health, not just track your fitness, most of which I really couldn't test all that well uh, because I didn't, you know, the irregular heart rate thing isn't out. The EKG thing isn't out yet. ECG, same thing, whatever. And uh, I didn't have a low heart rate and I couldn't get it to trigger the fall detection. We can come back to all that. And then there's new watch faces, which some people love, and I, I don't. But the the thing I spent a lot of time thinking about and really had a hard time coming down on a clear answer on, and it's the thing that we always talk about with the Apple Watch, which is, what is it for? Uh, the original Apple Watch, Apple didn't know what it was for. So, like, it's the future of all computing on your wrist, and it does everything, and it did everything really badly and slowly <laughs> and with a terrible interface, right? So they retrenched, they redid the OS, and they're like, no, 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 it's for fitness and also some notification stuff. And then what they've done since then and what they did especially well with the Series 4 is they're like, we know what the basics are of what this thing does, and now we can add features that build on that foundation. And the thing that I think is like I didn't write this very well, but the thing that is great about the Apple Watch is it now can appeal to like multiple types of people and be good at that thing for that person. 
Uh, so it's not a general purpose computer, but if you just want to watch that will show you notifications, let you reply to text messages, show you the time and the weather and just be like a smartwatch, a classic smartwatch thing. They have gotten very good at that and it will last a couple days on that if you don't you know, go out running. It still doesn't show you the time, which is super frustrating and annoying. And like that's like the one of the dings on it, but it's very good at that. If you want a health tracker watch, this thing uh, the only competition are like those big Garmin smartwatches that last a week uh, and have like, you know, pretty ugly interface and isn't well integrated into Apple world ecosystem as a like fitness watch. This thing is incredible if you and now they've added this year, like uh, like health thing. And we need to see like lab tests. We need to see a lot of stuff there. But in theory, if you know you are over 65, if you've got some health problems, if you're a little bit worried about you know, your heart, this thing, it won't actually like definitely protect you and tell you things, but it, it seems like it's a very nice, like backup insurance policy, I don't know, insurance policies, like a monitoring thing that could maybe give you some peace of mind. And so the achievement with the series four is they didn't achieve that it can do everything original vision of the first Apple watch but they have managed to create a watch that can appeal to different types of people and not suck for any of them. And nobody else is doing that. If you go get one of those crazy Garmin watches, like they're great, don't get me wrong. A lot of people are like, how could you say it has good battery life? The Garmin lasts a week and it does GPS and blah, blah, blah. like, yes, but using it kind of sucks. And like the software is like, <laughs> ah, right? Uh, yeah, and I just go down the line and like in each of the things that it does, it does it very well. So it's not the original vision of the Apple watch, but it's more than it was for the past couple of years. Where like the past couple of years, we've been talking, we've been saying like Apple fixed the Apple Watch. They made it really good, and now they've made it really good at multiple things, which is really impressive. Hmm. It feels like they started off that first watch. I remember during the announcement of that watch in 2014, literally thinking, "This is a mess," right? And I thought, yeah. should I type this in the live blog? And then I thought, well, I haven't used it. I don't know, but I, I like vividly remember that moment. Being like, I'm just looking at this and this feels like an LG presentation where it's just like they're all over the place. Right. Yep. And I think the story is they've clawed it back. And I think particularly with watchOS 3, they just rebooted the interface entirely. And so they, they've peeled it back. They've removed functionality or hidden functionality. They've redesigned it significantly. And does it feel like they're now at a place where they got that foundation right and they can start adding functionality back? Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Here's a fascinating thing that I think is kind of instructive. When we were at the Apple event, we actually mentioned this, I think, in the last Vergecast. The the app screen on the Apple Watch still defaults to the honeycomb weird grid, but they switched it to the list view, right? And I think that was partially so that we could all, like, the first thing you do is you want to feel the new haptics on the, the digital crown. Uh, and so you want to find something that'll make you feel it. So you could just go to the app view and scroll and so you could feel the haptics. But... Um, the digital crown feels faster and I switched to that list view on my review unit and I like it way better because it's, it's way faster to just scroll through to find like, you know, the alphabetical order to find the thing you want than it is to remember where you stuck an icon in that weird freaking honeycomb. Um, wait, tell me about the crown. Cause I keep thinking about that first presentation. They made yeah. such a big deal out of the digital crown. They compared it to the iPod scroll wheel. They compared it yeah, to no, multi-touch. It's true. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not those things. Okay. It's a slightly more con- it's it's a slightly more convenient way to scroll. 
That's that's it. Yeah. It's a slightly more convenient way to scroll. And it turns out that scrolling is a really effective computer interface. Uh, like scrolling is nice. They're, like we used to have scroll bars. And like, do you remember, do you remember, and I'm talking like 1990s shit here. Do you remember when you had scroll bars and you would like have to go and you'd have to decide whether you wanted the arrows at the top and the bottom or just two at the bottom. And then you would like yeah. go and like click your mouse and then like mice with scroll wheels came out and then trackpads picked up two finger scrolling instead of like scrolling on the right hand side of the, you know, the trackpad for the yeah. first time. And I was like, oh, my God, this this computer feels completely different. Like to me, that's that's kind of where the digital crown is, is scrolling turns out to be a really great way to jam through a ton of information on a small screen really fast. Like that's that's what it's for. <laughs> um, and the digital crown is very good at scrolling. And so it's it it's easier uh, like cognitively to like get through something by just scrolling up the digital crown than like swipe, 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 swipe on a tiny screen. But that was the argument for the touch wheel on the iPod. Yeah. Like you're maybe maybe they were right all along and they just duffed it because like the iPod, the whole thing was they they developed the scroll wheel to get you to scroll through a list faster on the iPod. Yeah. Look, all Apple does, the story of Apple is they reinvent scrolling every 10 years from the dock, <laughs> and then that is a revolution. <laughs> right? They're like, multi- yeah. look at this phone. It, you can scroll with your finger. I mean, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. iPod, you're scrolling with your thumb. iPhone, you're scrolling with your thumb, and the information that you're looking at is above your thumb. But with yeah. the watch, you're scrolling with your, if you're scrolling on the screen, you're scrolling with your index finger while also covering, I don't know. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You got to have a digital crown is what I'm saying. I agree with the, the feature inclusion of a scrolling device. <laughs> <laughs> you got this one right, Apple. So Dieter, you were really down on the, on the default watch face after the hands-on. Now that you've used yeah. it, are you? Do you th- still think it's insane? Um, yes, aesthetically, I don't love it. That's like that's it is what it is. I just wish there were more options. There's, and it's weird to say I wish there were more options, but I, I wish there were more options within the watch face. It's like if I could get this watch face and just like choose whether I not want crazy color mode, like that would make me pretty happy actually. That's the thing that frustrates me is like you know you look at the screenshot I put in the review you look at you look at the video and it's just like there are a lot of colors and they and also they they made a new font they customized their whatever Apple calls their font the San Francisco font they made it like a little bubblier so it's it's just like every all the all the letters are a little bit more rounded um, and there's just sort of a there's a bubbly interface to the watch and even the even the buttons they change those to make them a little bubblier that I just don't really love. But I think part of that is just a personal aesthetics thing. Like, you know, I, I I don't mind chunky watches. This, by the way, this does not feel like a chunky watch, even the the larger one. But I don't know. I I'm boring. I'm I want a boring aesthetic. I want something that's a little bit more, I don't know, modernist and a little bit less like happy. I guess I want well, I want the... a watch face that makes me sad. Is basically what I'm what I'm saying. <laughs> they have these video watch faces that could definitely make you sad, like the the water one. You can remind yeah, you the water, drowning. the liquid metal. And, but there's no yeah. information on there. Yeah, so if you, you can take, they look silly, but you can take those animated watch faces, which, you know, they're just basically like animated photos. Uh-huh. And you can make them round. And so all the animation happens inside the circle. And then you can add, I think, three complications around it. Uh, so you can uh-huh. get some information on those watch faces. But fundamentally, I think the best one is the um, the update to the 
uh, shoot, I forget what it's called. The watch face that has the three at the bottom and the time that's in digital and then like a main one in the center. Like that one's really nice. And you can get some really cool information in the middle there. Like you can get a five day forecast like on your main watch face. And that's dope. Hmm. Um, but the other thing that I don't know if people I didn't realize it at the Apple event. And it only, I only realized it when I was trying to pick a good watch face in the review is if you pick one of the new watch faces, there is a completely different set of complications, the new style of complications that are available to you. And all of the old style of complications that are available on the other watch faces aren't there and vice versa. So, for example, uh, when I wear an Apple Watch, I like to have the home app icon on there so that I can like quickly turn a light on or something. You can't do that That's on the, the new future. watch faces. They didn't make one. Wait, right? really? Yes, really. If you want the weather, it's a completely thing. And if you have a bunch of third-party complications, you have to wait for all those developers to update their complications to support the new watch faces. And so now Apple developers have to like make two styles of their complications, one for the new watch faces, one for the old ones. This is complication fragmentation. That's what you're yes. saying. Complication fragmentation. Yes. That's our, oh that's, that's our new children's show. That's like it's like that's literally like a Sesame Street song. We should uh, like, we have I to should, explain we to the a, children how complications work. I'm going to do an article that just lists out uh, every single complication and the two different sets of them, and then the headline is going to be uh, complication fragmentation compilation. Ooh, uh, that's good. Wait, you have to do that. I'm officially assigning you that piece, Tina. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we have to put that headline in the world. Are you kidding me? Um, but the new watch faces run on old watches with watchOS 5, right? So basically no. there's... Like, no, no, no. Like the the, the, the best one, like the best one, the coolest one, the infograph one requires a bigger screen. Okay. But the, so, I know that like the fire one and the vapor one, they run on the old watches, yeah, right? I think so. But they I don't haven't have, updated do my they old, take the yeah, new have, complications? Yeah, I haven't updated my old watch uh, to uh, the new watch watch OS yet, so I, I actually don't know for sure off the top of my head. Because I mean, if Apple's saying like, "Here's our new watch face style, and here's the future of complications," again, they have so much of a lead that they are, like they are afforded some sloppiness because yep. it's not like you know, it's not like Google's gonna do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like it's not like the the software department at Fossil's like that's our opening. You know, like they have yeah. so much of a lead that it can be like, okay, everybody. Every Apple iOS developer, like, here's the future of complications. Just start working on this. By the time you we have 100% saturation, maybe Google will have released yet another reboot of Android Wear or whatever it's called now. Yeah, right? it's Wear like OS. The, and there is a there's a, like a weird little reboot where they, they didn't update the version number, but they changed the interface. Um, and the new watch processors for Wear OS devices have been announced. We only know of like one insane, expensive Mont Blanc watch that it's in, but we're expecting more. But there is a new generation of the old processor, but even the new processor is like only good for standby time. It doesn't actually make it faster. Like people have been asking me like, hey, uh, there's a few, there's a new Wear OS processor. There's an update to the Wear OS OS a little bit. And there's this new Apple watch. You know, I made this video last year that's like Android deserves better smartwatches. It's just like looking at the state of smartwatches for Android users and how crappy it is. Uh, be like, have your has your, your calculus changed? And like, I can't fully say no, it hasn't yet because I need to test the new operating system on Wear OS. But honestly, the answer is probably no. Like it, like Google hasn't figured it out yet. It's going to be another year. And so there was this rumor that they canceled making a Pixel smartwatch at this you know upcoming uh, Google hardware event. And uh, yes, 
good move because there's nothing that I've seen in Wear OS that Google could do that wouldn't look just sloppy and ridiculous and terrible next to this Apple Watch. Really? Yeah. It's a, a big claim. Yeah. No, I mean, unless they unless they had something that they haven't shown that is like they revamped the OS again and they've done a bunch of really cool stuff and they've made it thinner and they have this processor that nobody's ever seen before and, you know, down the line, all the stuff and, you know, they, they made they revamped Google Fit. So that's good. And they, they can do a bunch of stuff. But I don't know, man, the here, like the execution on this Apple Watch is like incredibly good. Like LTE takes a minute to connect, but once you do, it just feels like you're connected. And if your phone is on somewhere in the world, you get your notifications full stop and you can reply to them full stop. Right. Like that just all just works just fine. Um, that's things through the cloud. Google does that, too. But like still the phone calls like Neil, you talked to me when I was on this watch. Tell me what your experience was talking to me when I was talking to you on the watch. I did not believe that Dieter was talking to me on a watch. Yes. I thought he had just called me on a phone. Yeah, it is so good. Like, and the speaker is loud. The screen is beautiful. Like, the my my biggest complaint is that, like, they, you have to turn your wrist to turn it on. And they, they I don't know, they yeah. pick up an extra eight hours of battery. They, maybe they double <laughs> half. I don't know. Some number of hours they gain from that. But isn't it an um, OLED screen? Can't they just do the yeah. thing where it's, like, always kind of on? And then you, it feels like they're so committed to being, like, the screen's on fire that they won't just give you this sort of like, you know, Android yeah. default, like the screen's on, but not on state. And like, they should just yeah. do that. I don't know why they don't. I really don't. And I, I told Wait. them like, look, I would, I would turn off every single fancy ass health feature in here. If it, it meant I could trade all of that for a I'd screen that was always die. on. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather die with a pretty watch face that you that like the they when they when they find my body, they can be like time of death and they can look at my wrist and just see it and that'd be fine. This guy probably Paul, what tripped. were you saying? <laughs> if wearing the Apple Watch the last gen was like a one in I feel like I look attractive wearing this watch, how many more is is the new watch. I mean, it looks exactly the same. Like it, if you don't like the Apple watch aesthetic, you're not going to like this. It doesn't fundamentally change. Um, they're bigger. They're a little, they're like, they're thinner, but they don't look thinner, but you can kind of feel it. Like, actually you can really feel it. Uh, but like, it's not so, it's not so much thinner that I would actually like make that a point of like, Oh yeah, you should get it because it's thinner because like, it's like a thing you kind of noticed kind of thinness. Um, but they're right. bigger but they're actually like, they don't feel that much bigger. So like I had the 42 before I tested the 44, you could tell it's bigger. The screen looks way bigger, but it doesn't feel huge on your wrist. Um, and I think that I think, and I, I can't say for sure cause I didn't test it, but I think people who prefer the, the 38 are going to feel the same way about the 40, the, the new, the new size there. So in terms of its looks like it looks the same, the watch bands fit the same. And that's actually kind of impressive that they managed to do that. Um, but if you didn't like the way it looked before, you're not gonna like the way it looked now. That didn't fundamentally change. Yeah. Okay. You gave it 8.5. What is the yeah. minus 1.5? Uh, always on right screen. now you're making it sound incredible. Yeah. Always on screen in Siri. Well, of course Siri. it's Siri. What's wrong with Siri? It's Siri. Yeah. Uh, Siri. It's just like, you don't trust it when it works. It works like Siri works and that's fine. And I wish it worked better. So you don't trust it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> when it works, it works like Siri works. Default means you don't trust it. Yeah. But the combination, if you get an LTE one, it, there's like a lot of like, is it connected or not? I don't know. Let me like go look at the like swipe up settings to see. Okay, wait here. Okay, here we go. Now it works. But, you know, you get a lot of like, hold on, dot, dot, dot. You're like, okay, 
Okay, okay, Siri. Let me let me just you let me know when you're ready to talk, Siri. I'm, I'll just wait. It's fine, right? And so that's that's annoying. And then yeah, the like the always on watch face. That I wish that would have that. Um, I don't know. Walkie-talkie mode is like not great. I guess I don't people like. People were it. really excited about it. People were really excited about it, but the ergonomics of it are weird. And this is this is another Dieter is an old man thing to say, but it's not true push to talk. It's not true classic Nextel IDEN. You push a button, you say a thing, and it sends it right away. It's you yeah. push a button, you say a thing, it gets recorded, and then the watch makes a FaceTime audio call to the other watch, and then that gets connected, and then they send your recording. So in theory, the, the idea is you do it, you tap the thing, you say, hey, Dan, and then you like, wait. Right. And you try not to look at it and, and worry about it. And then like it connects. And then he on the other end, this person hears, hey, Dan or hey, Neli or whatever. And then you're connected. And then it's just a back and forth. And that works pretty well. So what you save is you don't have to be like, hello. Hi, how's it going? You don't you save that like blah, blah, blah. You can send that initial message right away. And the person who receives it has that immediate experience of I got a message and now we're connected. And now we're just talking. But the mess, the, the experience of sending it is still like basically the experience of making a phone call huh well i'm gonna get one and we're gonna try it out but you can like you can touch your nose to the screen you know you can, you can <laughs> yeah that's great okay you can start talking without preamble but when you're done talking do you still have to say like i love you too well that's up to you how you want to end it the way it works is when both of you stop talking for a while apple you know the the call just sort of it's like well it seems like they're done are they done i think they're done okay i'm gonna disconnect the call now Right. So Tim Cook just hangs up on you. Yeah. So like after a minute or so of not sending a message, it it eventually is like, okay, they're done now. And then it hangs up and then you'd have to reinitiate a call. But there's no like hang up button. You just sort of stop. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to buy one. I'm just saying that was my question. I was like, is it worth upgrading? Man, from the series three. God, man. No, like like the base models, 400 bucks. You know, you get you get LTE in the bigger size and steel, and you could end up spending like seven hundred bucks. Man, it's such a hard. It it's. I don't think it's worth upgrading, but it's going to make you mad that you bought the Series Three. That's how I feel. I bought the Series Three, and I'm super mad at myself. If you have a Series Two and you love it, and you can afford it. You totally should. If you have a Series Zero or a Series One, oh my God, you are gonna be. You're gonna love it. It's so much better. I feel bad for the person who bought the like edition Series Zero. You spent like $15,000 on a watch like three and a half years ago. And I have zero bad feelings for that person. That person deserves what that person got. Because it was obvious. It was, we all knew what was going to happen. There wasn't going to be a way to upgrade it. There wasn't going to be a way to like pull out the internals and replace it. Like we all knew what was going to happen. And if you had $15,000 to spend, you should have known too. Yeah. I feel like those people do not. Uh, all right, we got to read another ad, and we got to talk about Amazon. And then Paul, my man, mm-hmm. you're gonna do a thing. It's gonna be great. Always. This episode of Vergecast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Have you ever forgotten to lock your Bitcoin account with two-factor verification? Who among us? Am I right? That's not smart. But you know what is smart? Hiring a ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actively invites them to apply, so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States based on a Trustpilot rating of hiring sites with over 1,000 reviews. Right now, Vergecast listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. ZipRecruiter, smartest way to hire. 
Hello, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow dirtbags and everybody else. Welcome to This Week in Elon. I'm your host, Liz Lopato, deputy editor at The Verge. It's been a big week. Um, <laughs> Monday morning, I was on my way to Hawthorne, California to attend a press conference at SpaceX when the news came out that Bernan Unsworth, the cave diver, you may remember him from the Thai caving expedition. He was instrumental in saving those kids. He also made fun of Elon Musk's submarine design, at which points Elon Musk called him a pedo and then doubled down on it a couple times. Yeah, so he's filed his defamation lawsuit in the U.S. Now, he's also suggested that he might be filing in the U.K. It's not totally clear which country has jurisdiction. The U.K. has much stricter libel laws. In the U.S., like, I think probably Elon Musk has a defensible case, right? Like, he's got insult, he's got hyperbole, he's got exaggeration. The only actual statements of fact come in that email to BuzzFeed. So that's the U.S. case in a nutshell. I don't know a thing in the world um, about the U.K. libel laws, except that (laughs) for some reason, truth isn't a defense against libel in the U.K. Congratulations to you guys. But I would stay tuned because depending on where that jurisdiction is, Elon Musk may be in more or less trouble. It's also possible he'll settle to make it go away. Like that's always a possibility. Anyway, that evening, I was at a SpaceX press event where Yusaku Maizawa, who is a, I guess, how would I describe him? He's a billionaire Japanese clothes horse who's like obsessed with Basquiat. Anyway, he's going to be the first person that SpaceX is going to send around the moon. And he's going to bring a bunch of artists with him. His whole thing is called hashtag Dear Moon, really. And, you know, that's a thing that they say that they're going to be doing in 2023. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm not going to go through the entire list of delays that SpaceX has experienced, and I'm not going to go through the entire list of delays that Tesla has experienced. Let me just say that I think 2023 is optimistic. The other thing that I found out at that press conference is that Musk says that he thinks the development of the BFR, the design has changed, by the way, looks more like Tintin's rocket, is going to cost about $5 billion. He says $2 billion in the low end, $10 billion on the high end. Okay, well, the space launch system, which is NASA's similar rocket has cost about $2 billion a year for the last, like, three years. And I know that SpaceX's whole thing is that it's cheaper and faster than NASA development, but all I'm saying is that $5 billion also feels a little optimistic, particularly because SpaceX has a bunch of other projects. So, you know, like, there's this uh, satellite constellation they want to send up, and in order to maintain their license, they have to hit a bunch of deadlines, and so that's clearly ahead of the BFR in terms of development, right? Because otherwise, like, you lose your license. That sucks. So, you know, it feels a little squishy. We'll see. One of the things that I found out at that press conference, though, is that Yusaku Maizawa was one of the original passengers who was announced to be riding on the... um, Um, the moon trip that you may remember from the Falcon Heavy. Uh, There was going to be two people who were going to go around the moon. He was one of them. So, okay, he's moved to a different rocket. He still wants to go around the moon. Great. That was Monday. On Tuesday, we found out, Bloomberg reported, that Tesla is being investigated by the Department of Justice about the Go Private tweets. Uh, So we already knew he was under SEC. Tesla was under SEC investigation. But the DOJ stuff is new. And the difference between the two is that the SEC is civil and the DOJ is criminal. So the penalties are different. The standard of evidence is different. There's just a lot that's different. Doesn't look good, though. It also turns out that the SEC has subpoenaed both Silver Lake and Goldman Sachs for material 
materials on their Tesla encounter. Those two were advisors for the go private bid. And uh, Tesla says it's been giving information voluntarily to the DOJ. So that is like dot, 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 to be continued. That's This Week in Elon. I'm Elizabeth Lopato, deputy editor at The Verge. This is also available in handy-dandy newsletter form, and you can subscribe at TheVerge.com. All right, Paul, every week, man, mm-hmm. blow us away with a segment that is exactly the same that is called... It's always called Spin to Win. Ooh. And, uh, Ooh. yeah. So I remember once upon a time I was walking through Costco, and one of the sample sands was a Vitamix demo. And I was not aware up until this point that you could just spin things really fast to make them hot. So like, <laughs> are you guys aware of this fact? You can make no, soup in a blender? I mean I, I mean, I was aware of like the physics of friction, but I didn't realize it was yeah. like a method of cooking. Yeah, you make yeah. soup in your blender. Okay. But a Vitamix is like $3 million. And now Instant Pot, a beloved brand by millennials everywhere, apparently, is coming out with a hundred dollar blender that can also make soup. Okay, I like it. Okay, does it have a heating element? Because uh, the Vitamix doesn't heat. You have to like you pour like boiling peas into. I don't know how to make soup. And then no, you... the Vitamix you put cold stuff in it, and then you push one of the buttons, and it makes it hot. I am almost ninety five percent sure that that's how it works. I mean, I have a Vitamix, and it's never spontaneously produced soup for me. Uh, yeah, well, I don't you know. gotta look for the soup. Am I using this wrong? So maybe it's like a special combo, like a key command. Yeah, the Instant Pot Ace 60 cooking blender. All right. $99. It's a, uh, eight smart blending programs, a heating blender for soups, milks, and more. So you can make your own, like, I don't know, oat milk, nut milk. All right. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. But also soups in a blender. Does it have a, a, a smart connection to your smart home? No, no, nothing. Okay. Oh, well, screw that's, that. Then, I would then. say that's a plus. No, I disagree. <laughs> I think it's a plus. All right, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm definitely getting this blender. I'm like Becky makes a lot of soup. It's like a weird thing, and I don't think if, I, I consistently see her cook the things and then put them in the Vitamix. If you understand how physics work, here's here's your here's your assignment for the week. I want you to tweet. At Paul, the name of a car, and then oh God, a graph of how, of wait, how friction wait. works. No, yeah, no, no, of no, how no. fast the Vitamix would have to go to cook vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> a car that can go fast enough to make soup. Paul, last week we asked everyone to tweet the name of a car at you. Yeah. Uh, they did, from what I can tell. E- what was the most did. popular car? I mean, there's a lot of Tesla Model 3, but I feel like, come on, guys, that's pretty obvious. A lot of Mazda 3. Mm. Okay. Which, like, as far as, like, serious suggestions that actually seem like decent cars, that was pretty interesting. I used to I used to own a Mazda 3 hatchback, and uh, it, was, it was a stick shift, and I deeply, deeply loved it. And I don't know if the new ones are any good, but Mazda's on this this beat now where they're like, we're not putting smart displays on our on our dashboards. They've got they've got a couple now. We're like, nope, we're just we're our our shit is analog now. Um, and that might yeah. be interesting to you. You know, the thing about the Mazda 3 is that you know, you're at like a party and you'd be like, yeah, I got to I gotta hop back in my 3 and leave. And everyone will think you have a Tesla Model 3. But you haven't <laughs> actually lied. <laughs> I got one of those people, three cars. I don't know if people call them the 3. Be like, yeah, I got a, I got a 
jump in the three and jam out of here. And everyone would be like, oh, Tesla owner. But like, really, it's that's horrible. Some of these cars, I wasn't even aware. Like, is a Honda Jazz, is that a real car? (laughs) Wait, what? Honda Jazz? That can't be real. Yes, Sebring Vanguard City car. The Honda Jazz is a version of the Honda Fit. It's uh, oh in Australia. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Um, All right. Well, I, Paul, I think you should buy an Australian Honda Fit called a Honda Jazz. I <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that's, All right, I'm, that's like I'm, deep from like the HTC playbook of names. Like they just picked yeah. another word. They're like people like jazz, right? Buy yeah. an HTC Jazz. I have a much better assignment. I take back my friction assignment, and I have a new assignment. Tweet at Future Paul the name of a car that is probably not real, but absolutely could be. <laughs> yeah. You mean just like last week. car names. <laughs> yeah. At Future Paul, just let him know. And yeah. when Paul finally buys a car, we'll let you know what, which one he buys. <laughs> Ideally an Australian Honda Jazz. All right. Dieter, you were at this Amazon event yesterday. It was nuts. Yes. Yes. Try, try. Do your best to recap it. So Amazon's VP of something, something, Echo Products, Dave Limp, uh, got on stage. He's like, we have 70 products to announce. And we're like, okay, ha, ha, ha. And then they did. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I've got like deep analysis here, uh, some, but basically Amazon has, uh, you know, they're on a, they're basically on a yearly cadence for their main Echo products, right? Uh, For most of them. And so they had new Echoes to announce. But the other thing that Amazon is doing is they are looking to do two things, extend their lead in the smart home and become the default, like ambient computing system, the default thing that all smart home devices talk to in a way that's very, very interestingly, like not that far from what Andy Rubin was trying to do with his essential home. But anyway, the other thing they're trying to do is make sure that Alexa is credible in spaces outside the home so that it doesn't like people don't just be like well i can't use it outside the house so i'm just going to switch to siri or google assistant or something right so they mm-hmm. have those two goals and the, the the home one is the more important one and so they announced a whole swath of stuff a giant pile of stuff that makes it like more obvious that they are just killing it in terms of ecosystem and so that ranged from a bunch of home audio stuff so that they could be credible for home audio and become like everyone would buy into their room system. It meant that there was a clock. Uh, it meant there was a microwave that everybody wanted to talk about. And the microwave wasn't actually about being a microwave. It was about being like a reference design for this new module, this chip that they're selling to make it easy to add Alexa to anything. Right. And so they just, for an hour and a half, they just like went through I don't even know what order was. New Echo Dot, New Echo Plus, New Echo Show, Echo Auto, Echo Sub, Echo Input, Echo uh, Sub. Echo Link. Did I say that? The Link. Said sub. The Link Amp, the Clock, the Microwave. And then there's a bunch of like Alexa features. So stereo pairing, uh, Alexa Guard, Alexa Hunches, which are amazing and what? interesting and fascinating. And I can't wait to see what happens with them. And just like. What's an Alexa Hunch? Oh, it just went on and on and on. So Alexa Hunch is a new Alexa feature where if you say, Alexa, ah, sorry, uh, Alexa's talking <laughs> to me. I'm sorry, all, all Vergecast listeners. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm not sure about that. She's not sure about that. 
Um, if you say, Lexa, turn off the lights, and it's like, you know, 10 at night, uh, it mm-hmm. will turn off the lights, and then it'll be like, you know, the last time uh, Dieter turned off all the lights at like 10 o'clock, he also turned off the par- porch light, and he usually has the door locked. So instead of saying done or making the little done beep or saying, okay, I did that, uh, Lexa will be like, okay, by the way, your porch light is on and your front door is unlocked. Do you want me to handle that? And you're like, oh, yeah, do that. And it will do that. So the hunch Whoa. thing is it, it starts to look at a bunch of stuff that you do in your smart home at like a given time or like together or whatever. And then if you want it to, when you ask it to do a thing, it'll be like, oh, hey, by the way, this other thing is going on. Do you want me to do you want me to do something with that? Which is really interesting. So I don't know. What do you want, what do you guys want to talk about? I have a potential framework for discussing this stuff, right? And I think the okay. microwave is obviously just hilarious and very interesting, right? As far as I understand, mm-hmm. it does not have a micro microphone, right? It's correct. It's, you talk to your echo device of whatever shape or form that is, and that tells the microwave what to do. Yep. So I feel like there's yeah. this delineation between like there are, there are Echo devices, and I guess Amazon's probably going to hopefully use the Echo name for things that can actually hear you. And then there's mm-hmm. a lot of devices that are going to serve that Echo, right? So it's not like exactly a hub and spoke because you can have lots of different Echoes, but there are the command devices and the doing devices, I guess. Does that uh, make sense? I hate to tell you this, Paul, but there I asked Dave Limp specifically what makes an Echo device an Echo device, what gets to be an Echo, and the answer is very unclear. I thought it was maybe a thing that has a speaker, but the Echo Tap isn't that it didn't wasn't or the Amazon Tap wasn't called an Echo device. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe it's just things that have microphones that Amazon makes, but I don't think that's it either. Uh, his answer was basically like there's a family of Echo devices that like mm. we call echo and then there are companion devices that like do stuff with the echo devices and right. that's that's it and like the microwave is a companion device it's not a it's not it's right. an amazon basics microwave but i was like okay cool that's all fine but the wall clock i believe is an echo wall clock so it gets to be called no. echo i think yeah and I, the echo link and link amp do not as far as i can tell have microphones yep right in the spec sheet it says voice control music selection and playback with your compatible echo device or the alexa app so there's an echo right. link that yep. has no microphones it's just an output so this is yep. deeply confusing yeah there's no um, way to know what yeah it's, it's whatever it's like i think it's whatever gets made in a certain building right because there's also <laughs> ring and blink or whatever i think if it gets made in this one building it gets to be called an echo otherwise no it's like i don't basket. understand what amazon is doing with ring and blink so if you don't know Amazon bought Ring, the doorbell company mm-hmm. that also makes like floodlights with cameras and whatever. And that's rather high end. And then they bought Blink, which is another like connected smart home camera company. I actually have a bunch of Blink cameras. Uh, they're great. They like last for two years and two AA batteries. So you can like put them wherever they're whatever. But they're they're obviously the lower end. So at the event yesterday, they they were like, we're announcing new Ring products. Like Ring is great. Integrates everything. And they didn't mention Blink at all at all and it's yeah. kind of like and the two ecosystems are developing in parallel so there's a ring doorbell but now there's like blink a whole blink security line that might include a doorbell it's the most amazon thing like well you know how google no is no no, no, no. I, it's it's the most you buy a smart home gadget company and then don't know what to do with it thing because nest had the same problem at google yeah but you know like google is disorganized in like a like a charming way 
They're like, oops, we made another messaging app. Like, oh my God, how uh, we just did it again. Like we, another group of unruly Google teens just made a messaging service. Like, yeah, uh, this keeps happening. Amazon is that, but cutthroat, right? Like they're like, you're a team and you're a team and everyone will go in the store and whoever wins will survive. Right. And like, I don't quite understand it because if they want this dominance, they should just have one integrated thing and it, they well, just don't seem to they just haven't to gotten me, there you know what i mean to me this gets to like the like what is amazon as a company and what are they good at right and alexa sort of came out of nowhere right and became popular kind of out of nowhere i don't think amazon was ready for it and so they they bought these companies it's taking longer than we'd like for them to integrate it that's fine maybe they'll go that direction but man, man, the Sonos speaker here, I really should have put it on mute. It's really trying hard to answer me every time I say Alexa. <laughs> but like one of the things they announced is they have a new RTOS. They have a new real-time operating system that some of their stuff, but not all of their stuff is running now. <laughs> and it's it's really clear that like Apple has, everything runs iOS at Apple now, right? And like they're, they, they make an operating system that is a core competency of that company, right? Google makes... Google stuff and like they have a core competency of like making operating systems and securing them. And Apple or sorry, Amazon has like had to build up a OS company, like an operating system company and a like consumer software company. Like they had to do it like, oh my God, we got to, we got to do this right now. Like they had no other choice because Alexa became really, really popular. And so to me, a lot of these like, what are they doing? What, what's the plan here stuff? is they're just rushing to keep up with the demand and the popularity of the stuff they've already made. And they're trying to, like, as the plane is is in the air, build the infrastructure of becoming a consumer software company. Because, like, their consumer, I, software, I, their consumer software stuff before was, like, the Fire Phone and Fire Tablets. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> you're, you're fine. That's fine. That's great, guys. Um, you know, they're getting there. Like, the, the, the new stuff on the Echo Show is actually pretty interesting and they've definitely you know i was really impressed with google smart display and like the, the quality of the visual interactions and as near as i can tell from my very short time with the echo show um amazon has caught up and in some ways like done a better job like their recipe system seems way smarter or at least like easier mm. to use right yeah the most dystopian thing they announced was like you can buy food from whole foods and then your amazon smart display will t teach you how to like make a recipe with it and then your yeah. Amazon microwave will cook it for you. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, that that is that's like a hell world. Like what it sounds really nice, but that that's literally the plot of almost every dystopian sci-fi book that has ever been written, which is that a yep. corporation completely runs your life. Yep. And then you get in your car and talk to your Amazon Echo Auto or whatever. Like yeah. it's a little too much. Like yeah. I, I want to peel it back one little bit. But it is a remarkable like vision of where it could go you know what i mean yeah well um, and then the the nice thing about uh, a lot of these devices are still smart enough that they can be useful just sort of on your own it's not necessarily that you have to buy into this whole ecosystem obviously the alexa powered microwave doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't have an echo but for a lot of this stuff it, it can be kind of useful on its own and in some of this it seems like Amazon's just like making something for everybody in the sense like I feel personally catered to because they're making devices that don't have speakers that can power good speakers. And so I could use, you know, Echo and Alexa with just regular uh, good yeah. sound. 
So like, hey, they they found me where I am, you know. So like, I, but also I'm sure they do want to run my whole life. Yeah. So the benefit of the doubt argument here is Amazon doesn't itself want to make every single product. They want to make sure that they own the ecosystem, the operating system for your home, right? And so you could, if you wanted to, make the argument that the most important, most like revealing thing that they announced was the $24.99 smart plug, which is a very hot take. Like this is a very, very hot take, but let me <laughs> let me just like make this argument. It was the most important thing that they announced in terms of their ambition, because here's what it is. It's a smart plug, duh. But it runs their new real-time operating system uh, that they will maintain. And they, you know, I asked, like, what about security updates? When are you going to stop? He's like, I don't know. We still issue security updates for the original Kindle. We have no intention of stopping anything. And we'll someday we'll make that decision, but we're not there yet. Um, so it's a reference design because it's a it's another example of, like, here's how to take our chip that we'll, like, anybody use and, like, quickly make a smart home product. And... I think maybe most importantly, it has this new, um, I forget what it's called. They, they've got a bunch of weird code names, but it has this new Wi-Fi discovery system where you scan the QR code or you buy it direct from Amazon. And so they know that it's yours. And then when as soon as it hooks into the Wi-Fi, it's like, hey, I'm here. I belong to Dieter. And then the Echo's like, yeah, you do. Uh, we're set up now. Here's the Wi-Fi password. Everything's cool now. And then the Echo says, hey, the smart plug's here. What do you want to call it? What room is it in? And then you do it. And so the reason that you could make the case that smart plug is the most important thing is it's the thing that reveals their ambition to own the home ecosystem. It has a mm -hmm. chip that anybody can put into anything. It talks to Amazon's like smart home stuff instead of like Z-Wave or Zigbee or trying to figure it out or whatever. They solve like the communication hassle, the setup hassle. Um, it's rock simple. It's pretty cheap. Um, and it makes like if you're trying to decide what how am I going to build my smart home ecosystem what products am I going to choose what standard am I going to choose you just choose the stuff that works with echo and if you are trying to make one of those products if you want to make a smart light bulb or you want to make a smart microwave or you want to make a smart whatever the hell um, you would be crazy not to work with echo right now and if you definitely have to work with Echo. Why wouldn't you just buy the chip from Amazon and make it? It's a very, very dominant move. It's a very, like, almost monopolistic move. It's like it consolidates power around their ecosystem in a really surprising way. Not surprising, but, like, forceful. First, I would like to commend you for starting to say Echo instead of Alexa. I know you did You're it on welcome. purpose to stop setting yep. up your Sonos. That was, that was, it, was a, it was a very subtle shift. Two, I think you're right, but I, I, I think they, the breadth of the things they announced to me, it's, it's more to what Paul is saying, which is when you're in the store and you're buying a gift for somebody this holiday season, any single Amazon device that you buy pulls you into the ecosystem or now, yeah. because there's so much other stuff, further cements you in the ecosystem, yeah. right? So if you buy the Echo Auto and you put it in your car you are way less likely to say my next thing is going to be a Google display, right? You're going to say, mm -hmm. well, I'm just going to buy another Amazon one. If you mm -hmm. buy an Echo Link, which poor Sonos, right? Like Sonos thought they were going mm -hmm. to be this neutral party. Amazon is just there with a full audio system. Is it going to yep. be as good? No. Nope. Who the hell knows, right? Like whatever. But like here are these products where if you have a bunch of speakers pre-installed in your ceiling or outside or wherever, now you can just buy this box and all those speakers become part of your Alexa system in a way that was a little bit harder before. 
So yeah, like, and, and, and now it integrates with title, Neli, so that's great. I got to say, there's the biggest Amazon <laughs> flex yesterday was like announcing their new Alexa search features and being like, coming at first to title. And it's like, if you announce a feature that you literally know no one will use, but you're proud of it anyway, <laughs> like you're you're just flex. You're like, no one can have this, but no one else is even close. So like, we're going to start with title. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> Uh, and I think that, I mean, I, you know, two weeks ago, we, we had Tim Wu on the, on the interview episode to talk about monopolies and antitrust, those network effects in these ecosystems are, I think we're only now like as consumers, as policymakers, as whoever, like realizing how insanely powerful they are and how, if you don't demand somehow, whether it's consumers in a market saying these are our preferences or governments, or I don't know space aliens coming down and saying, you must interoperate. <laughs> Who knows how that would work? But if, if you don't demand interoperability somewhere, the the pull of let's use our network effects to become the dominant player, and then the the sort of logarithmic curve of how much better you get, how much faster versus your competition, those things are super real, right? So yeah. Amazon now, it's so like the classic example is Google search, right? So Google captured the search market. They get more incoming search data. They get more data about what people click on when they actually search for things, like what are the correct results. So their search engine gets better exponentially faster than a search engine with less volume, right? Like that's uh -huh. the sort of the classic European Union going to regulate Google argument. Um, Amazon actually um, being investigated for antitrust violations by the European Union this week. Um, for basically the same argument. You have a store, you collect purchasing data from uh, the store, then you make products to price out your vendors in the store, you do Amazon Basics. That's unfair because no other store or retailer has access to that data. Like uh -huh. these sort of like exponentially growing network effects or data effects like create and preserve a monopoly. Can you apply that to the smart home right now? Absolutely not because it's still just a giant mess, right? Like, you you cannot credibly say that like buying a whole bunch of stuff from one vendor gives you a radically better experience than not right like right it's everything but, but is still pretty messy that's why i'm saying the smart plug is the most important product because they are solving that mess by you can either just buy our stuff if we offer it or if you make the stuff you should definitely make sure it works with our stuff and so they they're solving that problem with a huge flex of like work with amazon stuff and making it super easy to do for, you know, rando manufacturer 27, right? Or 20,000, actually. Like, that's how many they've got. So I'm just going to say some words, and then I'm going to sit back and let Neelai's head explode. Um, Mark Whitson went from Sonos to Microsoft and is now running Fire TV at Amazon, created a thing called the Fire TV Recast. Go. <laughs> this thing is so silly. <laughs> I get it. It's such a hack, and I love how much of a hack it is. So here's what this thing is. It is, it's so silly. It I is love it. two, it is two over-the-air TV tuners in a box with a 500 gigabyte hard drive. Yep. It's it's a it's a TiVo, right? Like that's fundamentally what it is. But it's without a TiVo an interface, that you cannot that you cannot plug into your TV. You, you cannot plug it into your TV. It's like a TiVo slingbox combination. So it has yeah. no interface on it. You can't plug it into your TV. It doesn't come with an antenna. You have to buy your own HD antenna. Okay. So then you set it up wherever that antenna gets a good signal. 
and then you plug it in and then you like leave you like walk away from it and then you go to your fire tv yes or your phone or your tablet yeah wherever your wherever great fire apps are served Uh, (laughs) everyone loves those and then you're you get a new tab that's like tv and dvr right just dvr it just says dvr it doesn't say tv so do you get live tv off of this thing yes under the dvr tab that makes no sense at all. Okay, fine. That's <laughs> fucking crazy. Uh, <laughs> literally no sense at all. And then you can watch whatever wonderful local channels are available in your area. Yes. I get, I, under, I, I at my core, I understand this thing. If you live in a world of cord cutters, what don't you have? You don't have local news, which some people want. You don't have the broadcast networks. And you don't have live sports on the broadcast network. So those are the things you need. You need ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. That Those are hard to get as a cord cutter. So you can just put up an antenna and get them. Great. Yeah. Problem solved. So now Amazon has, has an affordance to let you do that. Mm-hmm. What they, what they, I think what Amazon does not want to do is start like a skinny bundle of streaming services. Why not? Like, that's actually... That's a, that's the the like YouTube made one, Sony made one. Sony's by the way, the View skinny bundle integrates into this whole recast system, which is this makes no fascinating. Sense. Um, also makes no sense, right? Like we're assuming Apple's going to make one, but Amazon chose rather than making a skinny bundle and selling it under Prime or like having it be an add-on to Prime or part of Prime or whatever, they chose to make a two hundred and thirty dollar box that you stick in your attic. <laughs> <laughs> it's very technically it. advanced. Like it does Wi-Fi direct. It figures out what you're streaming to. And it's like, what's the fastest way I can stream 720p video to this thing. And if it's like an Amazon thing, they've updated all their Amazon things to support Wi-Fi direct. So it doesn't like it can do better than, um, you know, just like going through the rest of the crazy traffic on your Wi-Fi network. Um, technically it's very advanced, but they thought it was a better idea to make this crazy sort of hard to understand $230 box that you stick in your attic than to make a skinny bundle. And you just said, of course they would, they're doing that. But actually the question is why don't they do the skinny bundle? Are they trying to like avoid competition? Do they not think that they can make the deals? Uh, like what is it? Where does Mark Witten work at Amazon? He is currently VP and GM uh, at Amazon. He works like he runs Fire TV. Okay, so he worked well. Hmm. So if, the way Amazon works is like they have this famous line, disagree and commit, where if there's yeah. not consensus on a thing, Jeff Bezos is like, disagree and commit. And then everyone has to like admit that they disagree, but then commit to doing the thing. So basically no one yeah. can say no. So you can't okay. prove that making a 500 gigabyte dual tuner DVR is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, like you, you can't like sit there in the meeting and be like, no, it's definitely right. So Mark Witten's like disagree and commit. I don't work yeah. in the division that can go make the skinny bundle deal. I'm just going to yeah. make this DVR while you figure yeah. out how to get good margins from the TV networks. And yeah. I'll, I'll just get them for free because of they, they broadcast like that. I feel like that's the story of Amazon. Yeah. You, the benefits you get from this is like, there's no subscription fee, but like, I don't know. Like there, there are things that are just bonkers to me. Like you're Amazon, you run AWS and you didn't put the DVR in the cloud. Yeah. But I get like, it. I absolutely get it. Like, yeah, you, you're Amazon. You, you have like, you have wrestled complete control of the smart home, like universe. And you didn't think that you were up to the task of cable card. 
right? right. The instinct doesn't work no. with cable. It's not a cable box. What was that company that got shut down that had antennas in a in a in a server area. center? Area, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is this is just your own your own area, but now there's yeah, it's more your own devices personal to area. consume that. No, no, it's it's totally your own no. personal area. Yes, it is. No. God, you're just trolling me. This is horrible. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not that. Why not? Why not? The way Aereo worked, and this was uh, a guy named Chet Kenosha was the CEO of Aereo. Now he's working on uh, Starry, which is like another, another like Wi-Fi thing. But their idea was they had, I went to the warehouse in Brooklyn. They had a warehouse in Brooklyn that was full of TV antennas. And uh-huh. when you signed up for Aereo, they virtually assigned one of those antennas to you. Yeah. And then they captured everything and they would restream it to you. Right. Right. And they okay. they were going to have warehouses like around the country to get different whatever. But they got in trouble because you didn't actually own the antenna and there were not they could not prove that every customer had their own dedicated antenna. Right. Yeah. So they cap they capture everything. And this this thing doesn't capture everything. It only captures. Right. What you tell and them also, for. if you're if you're a company like Air, if you're any rational company and everyone in the country wants to record American Idol and you know everyone you use, you don't want to make. 50,000 copies of American Idol. You want to make one and stream that one 50,000 right. times. Right. So, so th- there was like a lot there. This device is like you have your own antenna, your own hard drive. If 50,000 people buy this thing, 50,000 copies of American Idol will be made. But, and that like, gets from, you out of all the trouble. But from a user perspective, you get exactly what you got. No, because Aereo was like, it would give you kind of... From a user perspective, you have an antenna on your house and you get whatever your antenna on your house will pick up, right? You just right. get a DVR right. in the mix and it, it integrates with your Fire TV. Area was like an app. It held itself out as a full-on streaming service. It promised high quality. It was like a whole thing. This is literally just an antenna on your house and a DVR. Like you can go buy a TiVo like today that will do this thing and mm-hmm. offer you substantially the same experience and even yeah. have all the apps, right? So like it's a... I, I saw a lot of people talk about the Aereo thing because I think Aereo is really high profile and everyone has forgotten the TiVo exists, <laughs> except for me. Like I have one, um, but like it's a it's a TiVo like they just they just I don't know, de-aggregated a TiVo into its components. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the interface yeah. of the TiVo lives over here and the, and the well, tuner lives over there. Like the Aereo part of it lives over here. That's what you're saying. I hate you, Paul. <laughs> it's like I, tr- I love you, but I truly hate you. Honestly, no, like, the thing that makes me sad about this recast box is that doesn't involve any IR blasters. Mm, yeah, I can't. I can't miss the opportunity. <laughs> Can I say Amazon? Every one of their first generation products looks like trash. Yep, like they. It looks like they were made in project boxes by engineering students. And then a year later, they're like, okay, you like it. We wrapped it in fabric and now it's nice. Yep. And like, yeah, that's what they did with the Echo. It's what they did with the Echo Plus. It's uh, what the it's Kindle what did with the, first the Echo Kindle Dot. looked terrible. Now, the I first Kindle was that. like legitimately insane. Like, it was so, it had that vacuum fluorescent display with the scroll bar. That's yeah. a scroll innovation. That, <laughs> to bring it back all, that was the truest and insane scroll innovation, was yeah. having a custom display with a scroll bar. The first Kindle belongs in the MoMA. Do you disagree? I think it is in the MoMA. It must be. Did you see, anyway. We, we, uh, we did a post a few weeks ago about how you can turn a Kindle into a clock. And I definitely fell down an eBay hole looking for a first-gen Kindle to turn into a clock. And then I thought to myself, do I want this on my wall as a clock forever? And I did not yeah. buy one. 
the the Echo Auto is looks like the your very first like 3D printing project. Like you're like, I got a 3D printer. I'm going to learn how to use it, and that's the first thing you make. Yeah, and the Link and the Link Amp literally look like project boxes with knobs in the front. So yep. there's a part of me that's like, these are cool. I'm very interested to see what they do with the Auto in general like there have been car alexa products before and they just haven't been very useful like can they make this thing useful do i want a permanently mounted you know mini usb connector in my life like i do not um would i rather have google maps on carplay which exists now yeah but is it going to sell well will they make it nice will be integrated more cars like i'm sort of just jet it's this is like how much that thing costs like 100 bucks i i don't remember uh, so here's a here's a thing. Um, you just said you want Google Play Maps. Um, so the Echo mm-hmm. Auto is interesting because like they have to they, they have to they're competing with CarPlay and Android Auto fundamentally, and like that's a losing proposition. No, Echo Auto so, is twenty five bucks. Right, it's a Bluetooth module with speak with microphones on it, um, and maybe a tiny speaker. I don't remember. But if you don't have or the ability to get CarPlay or Android Auto, it's interesting. If you ask it for directions. On your phone, the uh, Echo app, the Alexa app, will like pop up like, is this where you want to go? And then you can hit yes, and then it will deep link send the address to Waze, Apple Maps, or Google Maps. So like, the thing works with existing mapping applications by using deep links, which I love. That's wild. Yeah. Open ecosystems. URLs. They're, they <laughs> remain URLs. the future. <laughs> URLs. Google wants to change the URL, by the way. I'm just putting that out. Yeah. You never know what's going uh, on. Oh, boy. All right. We got we to gotta wrap this up. Speaking of uh, Google and URLs, by the way, interview episode of the Vergecast next Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, I guess, for the people in their cars right now listening, Malta Ubel, who is Google's engineering lead for AMP. And we spent a lot of time talking about the future of the web. It was pretty good. So nice. That's coming I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. Do we miss anything? I don't think we missed anything. I think we, I'm sure I think we, we did, did it whatever. all. I promise you, you're going to be happy with your iPhone XS if you pre-ordered. Everyone read my camera criticism as me trashing the phone. It was just a little camera criticism. Hmm. Do get over it. You'll be happy. You yeah. talk to Siri. Maybe it'll do some stuff. By the way, Amazon <laughs> 100% gendered Alexa. Yep. They, Dave Limp only referred to it as a she, which I think is both very interesting and somewhat troubling. Um, yeah, uh, Matt know, actually made a really robot. good point that like if you're going to start making kitchen gadgets, the fact that you chose to gender this thing is like really not good. Like there, there were a bunch of super misogynistic stuff about the microwave uh, and uh, the female name there that was like really un- unfortunate. On a lighter note, go ahead, Paul. PlayStation Classic. PlayStation Classic. Do you feel like this yeah. is going to be as big as the Nintendo thing? I name twenty. Name the twenty play, PlayStation One games that you're dying to play. Like I feel like. The, I feel like the SNES had like a better catalog for this sort of thing. If you're not, and also, Sony's done such a good job at allowing you to buy old games on its newer consoles. Yeah. Also, it doesn't have the. It's not DualShock, right? So it doesn't have analog sticks. So feels weird to me. I feel like the, I feel like it's missing some some amount of magic that that the the SNES Classic had. It's still fun. Yeah. Does the SNES Classic have NBA Jam? That's like really what I want out of one of these I systems. don't know, but anyway. now I really want to play NBA Jam. Right? Okay. Spacecraft. We haven't talked about it much on the show. Spacecraft Season 2 is up and running. Lauren, this week, learned to grow plants in space. That's just a thing that she did. So go watch that. That's on the main Verge YouTube channel. 
democracy continues to have a troubling relationship with social networks. Casey Newton is uh, writing about that literally every day in the interface or in your newsletter. This week in Elon, you heard Liz do it. Now uh, yep. you can read that on the website as well. Um, so read This Week in Elon. Why'd you push that button? Season three is being made right this second. So get ready for that by listening to seasons one and two on your favorite podcast app. And you can also follow The Verge on Twitter and Instagram. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts. There's a new show with Kara Swisher from Recode coming this fall, which is basically now. And you can listen to Recode Decode with her and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. They're both all excellent shows. Uh, and we will see you next week. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code. This episode of the Vergecast brought to you by Microsoft Azure. Keeping up with your competition is important. Taking the lead with unmatched innovation, that's impressive. Set yourself up to achieve more by running your apps on Microsoft Azure. Clear the way for unparalleled productivity with end-to-end development and management tools. Fearlessly integrate cloud capabilities across your environment with only one consistent hybrid cloud. Fearlessly integrate cloud capabilities across your environment with the only consistent hybrid cloud. Build the next generation of smart apps. Discover transformative insights through artificial intelligence and real-time data. And scale across more global regions than you'll get from any other cloud provider. Microsoft believes that every business and every organization, small and large, old and new, has something to gain by reaching beyond the limits of an on-premises data center. That's why Azure is the cloud for all. What will you achieve when you come to the cloud? Start experimenting and find out. Get started with a free account and 12 months of intelligent services at azure.com slash trial. That's A-Z-U-R-E dot com slash trial. Also, I want to tell you about Vox's Netflix show, Explained. The full first season is done. It's awesome. It is such a good show. I love it. Every episode is like 15, 20 minutes on one thing. Uh, the one I want to point out to Vergecast listeners in particular is the music episode, which explores questions like how does sound become more than like just sounds? There's actually a really great sequence where they have people listen to like raindrops and over time they start ranking the raindrops as just random sounds into music. It's wild. And then it also explores things like famous producers who lost their ability to hear at, after having brain surgery and then regained it. And it's narrated, I swear to God, by Carly Rae Jepsen. So go on Netflix, check out Explained by Vox. You can also just go to Netflix.com Explain and check it out. It's an awesome show. It's been so much fun to like watch it get made around us in our office in New York and to see like how something becomes a TV show. I love it. Go check it out. Netflix.com Explained.